Morning. Welcome back to the show, friends. Today's topic is all about men's mental health. We dive into some of the challenges of being a man in this modern world, but focus largely on solutions because that's what we're here to do. Not just lament on problems and difficulties, but be solution focused and oriented. So I run through the radical man framework and break down each point or each letter into a core value that you can work on to find the true full expression of what it means to be a healthy, integrated and aligned man. This is a show that is for the men as much as it's for the women. And if you are a woman listening to this, please share it with the men in your life. If you're a man listening to this, please share it with the friends in your life. And let's adopt this responsibility to be a little bit better, to be the leaders that we know we can be. And let's dive into the show. Hello friends, welcome back to the show. We have a big one for you today. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. As a man, as a man that does men's coaching and leads men's groups, we're talking all about men's mental health. Now this has been on my mind. It's kind of always on my mind because I'm a man and I have my struggles as a man and I'm trying to find my place in this world. But because I work so closely with men and do this kind of work, that it's always there. It's always something I'm thinking about. And we had June, which was Men's Mental Health Month. And I know we need more than a month these days and everything has a month, but it's a good start to start raising awareness and to start opening up the possibility that men could maybe be a little bit, bit more vulnerable and a little bit more open to these conversations. So the goal of today's topic is to map out a radical framework for being a radical man, a man that can stand up to the challenges of what it means to find what an, a man of integrity looks like and lives like and feels like in today's world. And to maybe push back against some of the cultural narratives and norms that are emerging around, well, being a man is bad, right? Because toxic masculinity and some of the common themes and some of the things that I've been able to implement for myself and for the clients that I work with and for the groups that I lead that have really been able to leave men better than I found them and allow them to go out into the world and leave the world better than they found it and feel good about doing that and feel strong and helpful again and empowered. So a caveat here before we dive in is this is not to say that all of the problems of the world are problems of men and that only men struggle. It's hard to be a woman too. I'm very well aware of that, but I kind of have to stay in my lane and only speak from my point of view of being a man and being a little bit more uh, adept at having these conversations in this world. And I think if you're a woman watching this podcast, there will still be a lot of value in it to understand maybe a little bit more of what it's like to be a man as we seek to understand a little bit more of the challenges of being a woman too. And I think a very important thing before we get into this conversation is you can hold these two beliefs at the same time. Like men can care about female empowerment and female progress and also care about their own mental health and the state of men's mental health. This idea of battle of the sexes, pitting us against one another and, you know, women beating out men in education and the workforce and men feeling emasculated because of that, it doesn't help anyone. The, the battle of the sexes is a lose-lose game. We need each other and we need to understand each other and we need to celebrate each other and we need more men to step up as the leaders that they can be in this society to really understand what's going on and why they feel this way in order so that we can build communities and a life that we thrive in as a collective. So 
before we get into some of the more uh, kind of philosophical challenges and solutions that we might be facing here as men, I wanted to just start by rattling off some statistics that are pulled from various bits of data that kind of span across a few different of the the, the key challenging areas that men might face. And um, these stats kind of tell a story, and then we'll get into what what might be going on here. But uh, the, the st- stats will speak volume. So let's start with the um, you know the, the big one in in the big elephant in the room, which is um, you know really apparent in m- male mental health, which is suicide. It's it's pretty wild to me to know that the number one killer of men under the age of forty five. This is data from the UK, but it's it's similar data in the US too, is suicide. So the number one killer of men under 45 is suicide, which is a really shocking statistic. And three out of every four deaths of despair are committed by men. So this is obviously, it's a very desperate place to get to that point where the piece of death is more exciting, I guess, or more alluring for a person than the pain of going on in an existence that they feel helpless and hopeless and powerless. In men's work, we have a loneliness epidemic. Uh, We have a friendship epidemic, especially real friendships where we can be vulnerable. And only 20% of men um, will go to a friend and willingly, vulnerably express their challenges. So that means about 80% of men are unwilling to go to their friend groups and say, hey, guys, I'm really struggling with this. I need some help. And that's down from reports of about 50% of men in the 90s. So something's changing. The 90s wasn't that long ago. But then around 50% of men were willing to extend the olive branch to their peers and ask for help. And another kind of interesting statistic around friends Um, almost 20% of men report having zero close friends. They don't report having a single real close friend, a brother, a person that they could go to, a person that they could call, which is also down from about 50% in the 90s. So we have a loneliness epidemic that is a friendship crisis, a real friendship crisis. And I think a lot of the men listening to this will understand that Sometimes what we think of as a friend might be the people that we grew up with and, and the banter and the locker room and the, the kind of boyish bravado. But is it really a friend? Is it really somebody that we can like lean into and talk to and ask for help uh, or just support in times of hardship, which we're all going through? And I think there is uh, something in the male psyche that has a hard time with that, you know, that, that showing this perceived weakness, which is interesting because you know, it's a true sign of strength in my experience, at least to be able to put your hands up and say, I need help. You know, that this is called vulnerability sometimes, the ability to be vulnerable. And the root of that word comes from a translation to be wounded. So to be vulnerable is to be open to be wounded, is to show those tender parts of yourself where a lot of men are not comfortable for that because it's a challenge to their manhood. It's a challenge to their masculinity to kind of open themselves up and say, hey, you know what? I can't figure this out all on my own. I can't watch a podcast and fix it. It's not working. I can't read an instruction manual and be the lone wolf anymore. And I think a lot of us have been raised in a culture that's given them that message. And as we go further and further in life, feeling lonelier and lonelier and getting disconnected from real friends that we can have real conversations with and share real vulnerability, it's a very lonely place. We start to feel like an island. And this is definitely one of the key factors in place around why men uh, you know, account for every three deaths of despair you know, out, out of four. So 
we have mental health issues too with men. We have um, the CDC describes that boys are three times more likely to receive ADHD diagnoses than girl counterparts. We then have that panning out into other educational issues. We have about a 10 percentage point gap in the ratios that men will graduate high school uh, compared to girls. And very interestingly, we've got 60% of four-year college degrees now going to women. Um, and if that thread continues in the same trend that it is going, that's going to be about two to one in favor of women by just 2030. So by the year 2030, which is not so far away, there's going to be two females graduating college for every one guy with a four-year college degree. So we've got an educational issue here too. And maybe there's something going on psychologically, you know, with the disagreeableness of boys that maybe not designed as much to sit down in these rows and, you know, listen to the expert and not play and not be so outside. And I would say neither are girls either. It's not what children are supposed to do, but younger girls are slightly more agreeable, slightly more easy to manage, let's say. And then these diagnoses come in of this, you know, rambunctious boy that can't listen as in a distraction to the class. So let's get him on these medications. Let's label him with a diagnosis. Let's say that this kid has ADHD. And it's such a interesting and delicate time for boys growing up because they'll carry that forever. They will become the man with ADHD. They will become the man with the broken brain and they will adopt that as part of their identity. And now they're going to enter into the big bad world with all of this stuff hanging over them. And again, all of these things are kind of slowly bubbling in the background and maybe driving why 80% of all violent crimes and people in incarceration are men. And the fact that we seem to just be suffering a lot more with these real challenges that we face in terms of deaths of despair and desperation. And the interesting thing around the vulnerability conversation is, technically speaking, uh, women are more likely to be clinically diagnosed with depression. But if you look at the data for the criteria of meeting depression, and then you factor in this suicide and deaths of despair and people in incarceration and addictions and drug use and binge drinking, it all shows quite clearly that men are depressed, but they are unwilling to ask for the help. They are unwilling to go to the doctors, to go to the psychologist, to go to the therapist, and therefore they are not getting labeled as such. They are not getting diagnosed as such. But when it comes down to some of the more prominent stats of how this kind of fleshes itself out with things like suicide, with things like deaths of despair, with things like isolation and drug use, it is quite clear that just because men are not being diagnosed as commonly as depressed, it is certainly there. It is certainly happening. And one of the challenges that, that men face, and this is a really interesting guy to follow here, is a, is a psychologist and therapist called Adam Lane Smith, who does a wonderful job of helping us understand why many men who are courageous enough, brave enough, and vulnerable enough to actually seek the help are often not met there in a way that is empowering. They might go to the therapy, they might do the couples therapy or seek the therapist on their own. And one of the things that he highlights and, and his data and his research suggests is that men want to feel helpful and powerful and useful. And the way in which we treat male depression and male malaise is very much the same way we treat female depression and malaise, which is, I see you and I love you. And men need a little bit of that, no doubt, but men also want to feel like they have tools, like they have something tangible and like they're useful. So they need a little bit more than feelings. And it's interesting if you look at the amount of men that are willing to see a therapist, there's an enormous dropout rate similarly. 
to the themes that we see the dropout in school. It's not working for them. It feels useless. It feels like, okay, it's nice to have somebody that can hold that space for me and say, I see you and I understand and that's difficult, but it's not getting to the core of the issue, which is I need to feel helpful. I need to feel useful because this is kind of the male myth. It's the male archetype within us. We want to be of use. We want to be a leader. We want to provide the safety and the structure in our own lives and then hopefully in our family lives to you know, build a life that we feel good about that's meaningful that's purposeful. And it was a story from Adam Lane Smith, again, that I'll share now, because he said, men are purpose-built creatures. And let's not conflate the word purpose with just what you do for a career here. There are many ways to live a purposeful life and to have a purpose outside of, you know, find your purpose and, and make it your entrepreneurial venture, although that can be one avenue. But he told a, he told a story about the, uh, the bombings in London in World War II, where there was a bunch of men that had been removed from war and put in the war to heal their injuries and, and you know, just rest and recover because they were wounded on the battlefronts. And as these bombs started to drop and chaos was ensuing, they needed people to get up and drive the trucks to take the fire engines into the firing line, if you will, to get out there and help people to, to go save people, to be of use again. And those men that had been laying there in their beds docile and feeling helpless and feeling probably a little bit like a failure. I'm not out there. I'm not helping my people. I'm not helping my country. They got up and they did what was necessary. Some of them got in the trucks and they drove right into the heat of the battle. Some of them got up and was, you know, getting into the rubble and trying to help people. And he said, very powerful quote, that if you give a man a purpose, you give a man a mission, you give a man something to do, he will crawl over broken glass with a smile to make it happen. And I think that speaks to something that's alive in men, which we need that thing, right? We need that thing to fight for. We need that purpose. We need that mission. We need that thing. And when we have it, we'll make it work. Men will work hard. They will crawl over broken glass with a smile on their face and they'll fight for that thing. But if they don't have that, then they're akin to that person that's just lying in the bed and feeling helpless. And it's very wounding to the spirit. And I think that is what is really happening over a long time when a man feels that level of helplessness and that level of what am I doing here? And I just I'm, have no value that that is when the peace of death becomes something that's more comfortable for them than feeling useless, that, than feeling helpless. We have some pretty more shocking stats here in terms of how men are spending their time with this thing inside of them that's not kind of really giving them the purpose to pursue and chase. So an interesting statistic around how men are spending their time uh, between the ages and 30, they play on average 2000 hours of video games per year and 2000 hours on screens, video games, Xbox, PlayStation, etc. And uh, the, the uh, add on to that is around 50% of the men doing that are also doing that whilst on prescription medications, usually for anxiety or marijuana or another substance. So you've got this kind of sedation thing going on with men is <clears throat> culturally speaking, if you felt like you had this disaffected youth that were not being met and they didn't have purpose that they could turn into these little hooligans running around and causing chaos. Now, luckily we don't have that going on. We don't have, you know, massive bands of disaffected youths going out there and smashing windows and starting fires. But what we do have is an enormous amount of these men in basements, playing video games, smoking weed, 
taking drugs for anxiety and depression, trolling internet forums, and they have been sedated in a different way. And on one hand, it's great that we don't have the violent outbursts as much and those things are trending down, but now it's just conveniently hid. It's hidden in the shadows. And then the other way in which we spend time with these screens is a big elephant in the room when it comes to men's mental health and where they choose to place their attention, which is pornography. And one of the stats that blew my mind is that pornography sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. That is an enormous amount of viewership. And the overwhelming majority of people on those sites are men. I don't know what that number is, but I know that it would be a lot higher than it is for female counterparts. And this might be an extension of the dating dynamics that we see now, the struggles in finding a mate. If you look at data, admittedly, that is pulled from dating apps, so there's a selection bias here. But you see this theme playing out where 80% of women are competing for the top 20% of men. And what this creates is a, is a huge asymmetry because now you've, all, you've got this huge cluster of men, the 80% under that top 20%. And what is the top 20%? It's, it's earns over six figures, is over six feet tall, is 6% body fat. It's the 666 rule that women want to see in a man. And th th there's something in the psychological dating literature called hypergamy. For a woman, they, they have a hypergamous dating nature. They want to meet a mate and find a partner that is at least equal to them, if not um, more, more so than the, in, in empowering and inspiring for them in terms of their ability to uplift and provide safety and, and be at least educated more educated than them at least earn if not more than them in the workplace so you end up now with this 80 percent of men underneath that competing for 20 percent of the pool of women so you've got this disproportionate number and it's not really working out and that then results in this new statistic of about 50 percent of boys between the age of 18 through 30 have now dropped out of the dating pool completely so that about half of that bottom 80 percent are just saying I don't even want to do this anymore. It's too stressful. It's it's not working. And what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to just play my video games, watch my pornography, drink my booze, smoke my weed, because it's hard out there, right? And it's not fun out there for women either. You know, we often present this as being a huge problem for men. I speak to women, I see women, they're not having the most fun either, but something is happening. Something is shifting that's changing a lot of this. And I think a big part of it is the empowerment story around female access to education and to workplace employment. And women are finishing, uh, like I said, the, the, the graduating, they're choosing college more, they're out earning men in the first 10 years of employment, and they are going up, up, up and up. And it's a wonderful thing to see. But it's isolating for men if, if women are dating hypergamously and they're going up and as the gap widens and men are kind of shrinking down uh, in terms of the quality of a, of a mate status, it's creating an asymmetry that is really fundamentally testing the core values of what it means to be a man, making them feel helpless, making them feel despondent and hopeless that they can ever find that because otherwise, unless they are that, you know, uber chad that's, that's you know, earning over six figures and is over six feet tall and looks really strong is not going to be even seen by a woman. 
And like I said, the solution here isn't to walk women back. It's not to try and get them out of the workplace. It's not to try and tell them that they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't pursue education. It's to ask men to rise to the challenge and also help them see some of these issues that are arising and help them understand why they feel a certain way that they feel because when they kind of map it out and can see we can focus on solutions and that's a big part of the masculine psyche we, we need solutions we need something to do we need that mission and maybe the mission here is to become the kind of man that can rise to this challenge so with the culture wars that are constantly in the room too we have this very shaky ground of what it even means to be a man and whether being a man is a good thing or a bad thing because on one side we've we are told that masculinity is is toxic it's it's not a good thing you've got famous movie directors out there like James Cameron saying that testosterone is a toxin that must be eradicated from the youth you've got more of the cultural left being saying you know be more like your sister be softer be kinder you've got the messaging from the right saying be more like your father be strong and I think neither are really helpful. There's something in the middle, an integrated masculinity that understands that the problem is not a biological one. The problem is not being a man. The problem is that being a man in a structural world where everything is changing culturally, as presenting new challenges, is showing up as a men's issue, overwhelmingly so. But masculinity in its core essence is strong. It is divine. It is purposeful. And we can reclaim it. And I think terminology like toxic masculinity is damaging. Um, we, we might want to look at it a little differently. We might want to use terms like immature uh, or boy psychology as opposed to man psychology. And this points at something that we miss a lot of the time, which is where, where does a boy become a man? And the answer to that question is really hard to define because it's not a biological age thing. It's more of a, a stepping into being a man. I've said this quote before and we had similar conversation with Kayla McDevitt on the podcast around the dynamic shifting between the masculine and the feminine in the workplace. But in that podcast, I mentioned this quote that a woman is and a man must become because there's lots of men that should, in theory, be men because they're over a certain age. They hit 25 or 30, but they almost act in that boy psychology. They never fully grew up. They never fully stepped into being a man. And we need to go through some kind of trial and tribulation, some kind of rite of passage. And we see in ancient cultures that this was always inbuilt into life. And we ask ourselves, what are the rite of passages in my modern culture right now? And they're the lost, the devoid of meaning. It's go to college and see who can drink the most and see who can bench the most and see who can sleep with the most women. And you can see very quickly that that's not what a man is. That's not coming of age. That's not being in that divine masculine energy of leadership and safety and structure. But because we've lost that thread and we've lost that initiation, you end up with a culture of men that have grown up and they look like men. They look like they're in adult bodies and they do adult things, but they're stuck in that boy psychology. And, and it's very different to say boy psychology versus toxic masculinity. Because if we're a boy and we understand we just need to grow up and we need to seek this adversity, we need to seek these challenges and we need to step into the fullness of maturing as opposed to the associations around calling something toxic, which is just inherently bad. If something is toxic, then yes, you don't want to be it. And it puts people in a very strange position. Because on one hand, if you embrace your masculinity, if you step into that, one side of the aisle is going to call you an oppressive patriarchal monster. 
But if you relinquish your masculinity, you're going to be left weak and docile and purposeless and probably repulsive to women because, shocker, women do want men and women do need men. Maybe not in the way that they've quote unquote needed men in the past. The more Disneyland view of things, that the damsel in distress is in the tower and the man goes and slays the dragon, saves her and lives happily ever after, which has been a part of our myth for a long time. You know, find my princess, save her, create a beautiful family, live happily ever after. But the Disney princess in that story came down from the tower, slayed their own dragons and walked out into the world. And in that sense, they don't need men anymore. They don't need men anymore to provide for them necessarily financially and, and just play that role. But they do need men and they want men and men need women and they want women. But we have to update our collective myth here. What is now being asked of us is to become the kind of man that isn't necessarily in that Marlborough man era of just, I am the provider, I am the breadwinner and this is what I do. It's to be open and honest and vulnerably uh, uh, available and strong and be a leader within the relationship, which means being a leader for myself. So with that said, I wanted to now dive into this radical framework and I've taken each, each letter of that and come up with a word that could be a character trait, if you will, or a value to aspire to. That I think if you could run down this list and check the boxes on each of these, you would be a more well put together man. You would be more integrated. You would be moving from boy psychology into man psychology and really be able to understand that this is what it feels like to be a man. This is what it feels like to have purpose, to have meaning. So let's dive into that. So the R in radical is responsibility. Radical responsibility is an archetype in masculinity because you are the solution. You are always the solution. It is the burden of responsibility of being a man to figure that out and to lead and to ask what's important now. And something I tell my male clients a lot is you might not be part of the problem, but you will always be part of the solution. This is where you can really step up and lead, but only if you take responsibility for that. If you abdicate responsibility and you become a victim and you blame and you complain and you point the finger and you say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's the fault of this world. It's not set up to support men. It's the fault of education. It's the fault of these women that have been mean to me. It's the fault. And you point the finger of blame. That's where your power goes. Power follows the finger of blame. And the best thing that you can do often is turn that finger around and point right back at yourself. Not to say this is my fault, but to say it is me, only me, and only now that can change this and take responsibility for that. So the radical man above all else must take responsibility. The radical man, A, must be aligned. Alignment, when it comes to men's work, I say is head, heart, and balls. The head, is where we get stuck. We're very good at this headpiece. We think clearly. We can be stoic. We can strategize. We can be logistical. We, be, we can be solutions-oriented. We're good at the headpiece, but it disconnects us a lot of the times from the heart. The heart is that place of trust within yourself, knowing a different kind of resonance. 
and a big journey for a man, potentially the longest journey he'll take over his lifetime, is navigating the territory of 12 inches between the head and the heart and trying to get those things in alignment, those things synced up. Because if those things synced up, then the last piece here is the balls, which is the courage, the courage to do what is necessary, the courage to step up, the courage to ask yourself these difficult questions of who you get to be and what is required. So you need alignment in head, heart, and balls. And if you're disconnected at any one of those chains, you won't be able to move forward in a powerful way. You won't be able to find that meaning. If you're all head, no heart, no balls, you'll just live in your head. You'll be anxious at all of these dreams that never actualize themselves. You'll become resentful about the world. If you have head and heart, but you have no balls, you won't actually do the things you know you're capable of doing. You'll have a lot of potential, a lot of truth in you. You'll have a lot of ideas, but you'll remain a coward. You'll remain sitting there, you know, not participating in life, treating it as a spectator sport when life is meant to be lived with you on the field, not on the sidelines. The D in the radical man framework is discipline. I've talked about this before, but I truly believe that discipline is your superpower that you can develop and learn. It's a character trait. And as a man, it's not always about asking, how do I feel? It's about asking what is required of me. If I need to be responsible, if I need to be this leader, if I need to step in and feel that, then what is required of me now? Because a lot of the time, you're not going to feel like doing what is required. But if you know what is required and you ask that question, you're willing to step up and meet it there, that is to be disciplined. Right? I've highlighted in the past the difference between motivation and discipline. Motivation is a feeling that is fleeting. And if you have it, it's wonderful and you can use that. But if motivation ghosts you, which it often will, what needs to take its place is discipline which is doing what you know is required of you, even when you don't necessarily want to do it. And discipline becomes your destiny, whether this is in, is in your physical health pursuits, because you practice discipline around how you eat and how much you eat and what you say yes to and what you say no to, whether it's discipline in the physical domain of exercise. A lot of the time, you're not going to feel like going out and taking the run or going to the gym, but you also know that you want to be strong, you want to be healthy, and you want to provide that. It might be discipline in the relationships that you have, the discipline to choose to have the difficult conversation, to be the leader in that way, discipline in your careers, to do the things that you know are necessary, not necessarily always what you feel like. Don't be ruled by your emotions. Feel them, acknowledge them, and then take charge. You are the one that is in charge through discipline. The I in radical health framework for the man is integrity. We say he's a man of his word, and it's very important as a man to be a man of word. And integrity is when our internal thoughts and feelings and actions are all in alignment. Are we a person that says what they mean and means what they say? Do we practice what we preach? Are we a man of our word? Are we impeccable with our word? True integrity means that you never consciously betray yourself. Consciously betray yourself. That's integrity. You don't do that anymore. You're in charge. You know. You're aware. And you know what is required. And to be in integrity means that my internal and my external worlds match. I meet the world in that way. I, I, I treat myself 
with respect by being impeccable with my world, not just to other people and how I communicate with the world, but how I allow myself to communicate with me. When I become either the whiny little bitch or when I become the person that is judging or shaming myself, that that is not being impeccable with your word. That is not being in integrity. So we need to work on our inner landscapes, the textures of our mind, the way we talk to ourselves, and we need to work on the external world too. And much, you know, in a sense, when we work on our internal world, the external world changes because so often the world out there is just a manifestation of what's going on inside of my mind. The world is a mirror, and this is your opportunity to polish the mirror by practicing integrity. The C in the radical framework to being a radical man is connected or connection. Men need to be connected and to be connected to themselves, their body. They need to be connected to other people the loved ones, the communities. They need to be connected to the mystery, something bigger than themselves, God or nature. They need to be connected to purpose or mission or drive. So what are you connected to? If the only thing you're connected to right now is hedonic dopamine chasing, pornography, food and booze and living for the weekends, chasing girls, or chasing paychecks, that that's the only thing you're connected to? Materialism, chasing a new car, is that really what you want to be connected to? Like, what do you want? Or what do you want to want? The most evolved version of you, the most divinely manly version of you, what is he connected to? Is he clear on his mission, right? Is he clear, is he connected to his woman, or his partner, or his family, or his purpose, his work, his body? You must be connected. The A in the radical man framework is for attack. You have to attack. This is the warrior ethos that's alive in a man. We're not supposed to be passive. We're supposed to be attacking. Now to attack in the right direction, we need to know what we want. So we need that awareness and that alignment and that integrity. But when we see it, we need to go for it. We need to be relentless. We need to be disciplined. We need to be driven. We need to be actively participating in life and attacking life. Forward center of mass, constantly moving forward. Not being reactive, but being responsive. Not being reactive, but being proactive to get after it, to sink your teeth into something. Men can be like a dog with a bone. You know, we need something to chew on. And if we don't have that thing that we're attacking, we don't have that bone to chew on, we start gnawing at the furniture. We start peeing where we shouldn't, pooping in the corner, because we need something. We need it. That's that purpose-built thing that is within men. But sometimes we need to be active and attacking in finding that thing. We can't passively sit back and expect life to just serve us up this perfect little recipe for happiness, hope, meaning, and purposefulness. It's something that must be created. It's something we have to set our sights on and attack. And last but not least in the radical man framework, the L is for leading, leadership leads. You go first, you go first. That's what leadership is. You set the example, you be the example. And you see, it's interesting it comes last in this framework, but what is required of everything that comes before it, that is the recipe for leadership. You need to be the person that you need. You need to be the person that the world needs. You need to be the kind of man, the kind of father, the kind of leader that you wish you had. 
How can you be the kind of leader you wish you had when you think back to being a, a little bit lost, a teenager that needed that, that didn't get it? Like, how can you be that for you, for your family, for the world? Because one of the core qualities of masculinity is leadership. It leads. It takes that responsibility of direction and confidence, right? That, that I am going to create the safety for those around me by being the leader that's required. And leadership is a skill. I know we say a lot of the time, oh, he's a natural born leader. But I think lead, everybody can be a leader. Not everybody's top dog, not everybody's alpha, not everybody needs to be. But we do need to be that in our own lives, over our own minds, in our own little cluster, whether that's our family unit or whether that's what we do for work or whatever it is. It needs to be built on the backbone of leadership because that's what you are at your core. You are a leader. So lead yourself and you will lead the world around you. The radical framework for being a man, again, you must be responsible. You must be aligned. You must be disciplined. You must have integrity. You must be connected. You must attack your dreams and you must be a leader. I think if you can take those and ask yourself where you need to show up a little bit more, where you need to dive in a little bit more and adopt those, you have a pretty good foundation to build from that will help you find a sense of purpose and progress. I think a lot if we were to take the rad man framework that we just had there and we flipped it and asked, well, what creates a, a sad man? And the S might stand for stuck. Like a lot of men feel stuck, right? And in my experience, when people feel stuck, they don't feel happy. They don't feel driven. They don't feel like they're moving forward. And how do you unstuck yourself? Well, you need to be making progress. If you're not becoming competent at something, if you're not making progress, you will feel stuck energetically. And you might literally get stuck in life. You're not moving forward. So you need to unstuck yourself by making progress. The A in the sad man framework might be addicted. You're addicted to cheap dopamine. You're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to booze. You're addicted to marijuana. And you need to work on those. And sometimes you need to acknowledge the fact that you can't solve all of these things on your own. That you might need to make yourself vulnerable enough again to either at least ask your friend groups for help if not seek professional help, if this is really something that you're battling. But to just take that first step in putting your hands up and saying, I need help. You know, I do. I need help. We all need help. This lone wolf mentality can only take you so far. So ask for help. And in a sad framework, the D might stand for distracted or directionless, despondent. You need, again, to... Really pause and reflect if you're listening to this and ask, where am I heading? Where's my trajectory taking me? If nothing changes, what does that look like five years from now? Right? So this is how we fight back. We don't want to live life by default. We want to live it by design. That is leadership. That is integrity. That is what it means in my experience to be a man. Intentional, alive, celebrating the warrior in you, celebrating the savage in you, and also celebrating the divine in you too, the lover, the feminine that exists inside of you as well. Because both men and women have masculine and feminine traits. Just traditionally, a man will skew more into his masculinity. 
but these the yin and yang in each person. So there's feminine energy in you too. The space of relaxation and creation and how are you actualizing those things? Stillness and flow and making music or making art, but then getting after it and really celebrating your masculinity, your drive, your discipline, your joy that you take in fighting and physical combat and starting jujitsu or throwing weights around or breaking a sweat or feeling strong, you know, to not emasculate yourself because you've been told that your masculinity is bad, but to celebrate it as something that is uniquely yours and a wonderful thing that actually provides leadership and safety for everybody around it. <laughs> so with that, I, I believe that men thrive with a, a code of conduct, if you will, some moral ethics to aspire to. And I have three uh, I'll leave you with. And the first one is to become competent. And this means to learn as much as you possibly can because learning means progress and because progress means a sense of fulfillment and happiness. Become competent in as many areas of your life as you can, in physical domains, in mental domains, in career domains, like read the books, listen to the podcast, learn new skills, Learn new sports. If you're not doing anything right now, learn how to swing a kettlebell. If you've done that, learn how to do jujitsu. Learn how to do an oil change. Learn how to change a tire. Learn, become competent. Become competent and learn skills. Number two is to be dangerous, but not a danger. Be dangerous, but not a danger. And what I mean by that is the realm of physical competency here. There is an enormous sense of confidence and freedom that a man can find when he can become dangerous and can control it. There's the famous Jordan Peterson quote that goes viral a lot, which is, you should be a monster, but you should be in control of that. You should harness the capacity to be strong, to be violent if necessary, but not to have that be unhinged not to have that be so held in your fragile masculinity or your boy psychology that you lash out and you hurt people. But actually, the more dangerous you can become and can control it, the more stabilizing of a force you become in this world. And I can speak to this firsthand. Number one, as a person that's decently competent in physical violence through my history of jujitsu and MMA, but being around and training in gyms with world-class killers, some of the most quote-unquote violent men you could ever meet, UFC champions, people that could kill you with their bare hands if they wanted to, yet they're the nicest, softest, safest people to be around because they know there is no ego there, there is no threat there, there is no need to puff out the chest and walk around and barge into dudes at the bar and prove something because they know. And you can see that they create that for the people around them. They create a sense of safety and stability because they became a monster and then they learned how to harness it. And it's when you don't learn how to harness it, it can come out sideways, it can come out twisted. So become dangerous, but not a danger. That will give you a sense of confidence to know that whatever arises here, whatever situation I find myself in, number one, I know that I've done enough to prepare myself for this. And number two, I know that I'm competent enough to respond to the situation, not react to it, and to be able to lead myself and other people around me to safety. And the last code of conduct, I've mentioned this a little bit, but we'll just close on it and finish again, is to be the leader you wish you had. Always keep that in mind. How can I be the leader that I wish that I had? 
because a lot of us didn't have this. A lot of us didn't have these talks. Our fathers usually didn't have these talks and they did the best that they could. And now we're in a unique position where we're having these conversations. We can do these things where we can go and take a men's retreat. We can do these things now where we can listen to a podcast that's about men's mental health. And we start to see this conversation emerges more. And again, the burden of responsibility now is to pick up that and to carry it forward and to pay it forward and to be the leader that we wish we had for ourselves and for the world. And I think if you anchor to that and you ask yourself that question, how can I be that? What is required of me? You know, then you can really find a lot more um, richness in your life and meaning in your life that gives you something to anchor to. So this is a, it's a very big topic. It's a topic that I would love to have um, experts in this field on in the future. And I would love to have experts on the field in female mental health too, and completely keep having this more holistic conversation of the challenges of being a human, you know, the challenges of learning to eat well and moving through our framework, but also the, the challenges of men, the challenges of women, the challenges of what it means to be a human, because it is very challenging. But there is always hope threaded in these conversations. I'm uh, an optimist at heart. And I think that we need to have these conversations and we need to put these cards on the table. And particularly as men, we need to be vulnerable enough again to ask for help to accept that and to face the very real challenges that we do face, you know, the very real problems that we face with our culture, uh, with our addictions, even with our health, you know, with um, our declining sperm counts that are trending downwards decade upon decade. The fact that if you type in to Google sperm count 2050, that you'll see that projections, the way things are going are drawing us close to zero at that point. The fact that our testosterone is about 50% lower than it was of men equal age 50 years ago. And our health is declining. Our vitality is declining. Our myth is declining, if not shattered completely. But the beauty in that is we can rebuild. Like we can create something new. We, that's not our destiny. That's not our fate. That's not what we want. It's not what the women in our lives want from us. They want men that are strong. They want men that are capable. They want men that are willing to do the work. They want men that are also strong enough to be soft. Can you be strong enough that you can be soft to open yourself up to that ability to show those tender parts of you, the part of you that is willing to be wounded, the vulnerability, because that is the true sign of strength. And this is how it starts with a conversation. I never had a conversation like this my entire life until I was probably in my mid twenties. And most men are suffering in silence. They feel like an island. They feel like they're the only person feeling this and going through this. And they live in their head. And hopefully they find, find some healthier outlets along the way to quell that. They might find exercise, for example. But a lot of men don't. A lot of men find other things. Things that are not in alignment with their higher self. And it can be food. Or it can be screens. Or it could be all of these other things that are going to pull you further and further away from your potential. So my hope for a conversation like this is it just gives you an olive branch, an extension of you're not alone. We are here to help. I am here to help. The world at large is here to help. The world doesn't want to see men suffer, but we do have some real challenges. 
And it's a grassroots movement of each of you taking this responsibility to walk away and say, how am I going to be the kind of man that the world needs? How am I going to be the kind of person that I need? How am I going to be the kind of leader that I wish that I had? And if I can do that, and we can create this ripple effect of change, that everything gets better from there. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, men are the leaders. And if we don't take that responsibility and start leading again, then I don't know where we're heading. But the trends point in a not so good direction. But we remain hopeful. We remain happy. We understand we chose this. This is our opportunity. And I think that if you're listening to this, that you are excited about this challenge. You understand that we have a mountain to climb ahead of us, but together we can do it together as individuals. And it's time for us men to, to really step up. So if you're watching this, thank you for your time. We don't have any callers today. We wanted to just focus on this topic at hand and kind of leave you with something to think about. If you're a woman watching this right now, maybe share it with a man in your life, a brother, a romantic partner, somebody that you're a friend with. If you're a man watching this, share it with your friends, put it in your group chat. where you are usually talking about sports and beer? Try to open up the conversation. Go first, be the leader, start the men's group. Say, guys, why don't we get together once a month and not talk about butts, but let's talk about life and goals and let's set challenges within this group and let's do a 100 push-up challenge. Like, just be the leader, be the example. If not you, who? And if not now, when? And that's what I'll leave you with today. And I'll see you out there. Big love, fam. All right, friends, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of radical health. We'll see you next week.